Good afternoon, everyone. I am Tim Phillips, President of Americans for Prosperity. Thank you for joining us. The House of Representatives is set to vote in the next couple of days on this $1.9 trillion boondoggle that sadly the Biden administration is push pushing, calling it COVID relief. It's sadly not that at all. It's a, a partisan ideological wish list, sadly, for the left. Uh, I'm joined today by a very special guest and our state director for Americans for Prosperity in the state of Wisconsin, where I was just in Madison in Watertown and Milwaukee a week ago. Uh, Eric Bott, thank you for all the good work you do, both at the state and local level in Wisconsin uh, and on the federal level with our federal delegation or your federal delegation from Wisconsin. Thanks for joining us and go ahead. Thank you, Tim. Uh, I am so uh, happy to be able to announce our guest today, Senator Ron Johnson, who's been a, a strong champion and ally of our chapter and our organization for many years. You know, Senator Johnson ran because Washington was disrupting our country and our children's future. And he's remained one of the few uh, steadfast voices in Washington, D.C. about the national debt, about reckless spending, and trying to take things on head on uh, and solve problems for us. So thank you for joining us, Senator Johnson. And I guess to kick things off, um, the Wall Street Journal this week called uh, President Biden's uh, spending package the non-COVID spending blowout. And I think that's a good description. How much of this bill is actually about a response to COVID and how much of it is just a government spending wish list? Well, first of all, I, I would highly recommend that Wall Street Journal uh, column to everybody because it really does describe this boondoggle. And at most, uh, I think the Wall Street Journal uh, reports about $825 billion could be termed COVID release, relief, but that's pretty loose. Uh, that, that means at least more than a trillion dollars has nothing to do with COVID relief. And one of the greatest examples of that is the $129 billion they have in for K through 12 education. I think only six or $9 billion is going to be spent in 2021, the rest is going to be spent from 2022 to 2028. So let's face it, we, we've already, prior to this, allocated, uh, authorized about $4 trillion in COVID relief. That's Put that in perspective, that's 20% of our economy last year. Uh, so this would add to that, uh, boosted to about 28% of our economy. And you know, we're already about $28 trillion in debt. This will put us up to about $30 trillion in debt, probably beyond that when you consider we're running trillion dollar a year deficits. So this has nothing to do with COVID relief. There's another great article in the Wall Street Journal from Phil Graham talking about how a per capita real disposable income is up 5.5% in 2020. Savings, personal savings up $1.6 trillion. And on average, the, the people in the lower quintile of earners, uh, the lowest 20% on average got about $45,000 in transfer payments from government from about 100 different programs. So why do we need this COVID relief? Our economy is ready to just take off. There's so much pent up demand because of all these lockdowns. Uh, there's so much money sloshing around ready to be spent. Our supply chains are broken. So manufacturers are going to have a hard time uh, really supplying all that demand, which means and this is another part, point of, of, of Phil Graham's article, potential runaway inflation. So this is dangerous, even, even Larry Summers and uh, uh, I'm trying to think, you know, Jason Furman, uh, two liberal economists have warned that this may overheat the economy. So this is grossly irresponsible, but 
it'll be because we lost the election, because we lost the Senate, because Chuck Schumer's and Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden are in charge, this is going to get passed. There's really nothing we can do to stop it other than, than complain about it, which we will do. But uh, elections have real serious consequences. Yeah. Senator Johnson, I, I also saw two other items in this Biden $1.9 trillion spending boondoggle that are very frustrating. They're not related to this pandemic at all. One is the roughly, by our count, about $350 billion in just straight up bailouts for big spending states and cities. You know, I think about Illinois and the city of Chicago. You know, Wisconsin is not perfect by any means, but it's more fiscally well managed than Illinois. And, and at this passage, you're going to have states like Wisconsin or Indiana, you know, sending their money to Illinois. And you're going to have states like Florida, which are well uh, managed, sending money to states like New York. Uh, and so that's in there. And then also driving the federal minimum wage up to $15 an hour, which will make it more expensive for businesses to hire workers at a time when they're struggling with this pandemic. Uh, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, if I am, tell me, Senator Johnson, but the Congressional Budget Office tells us that this will end up eliminating, destroying uh, potentially up to a million, 1.2 million jobs. So uh, those things are in there. Am I right in saying they're still in the package at this point? I think the CBO estimated about 1.4 million job losses. Uh, I, I don't think that'll survive. It won't survive the bird rule, which is, you know, uh, inside baseball in, in, in the Senate, but it sounds like Joe Manchin and, and Kirsten Cinema will protect the bird rule. So I don't think the minimum wage will survive, but Good. that issue is not going away. But let's quick talk about uh, state and local spending on this. Previously, uh, I think we we supplied something about $150 billion of state and local spending, even though revenue across the board, I mean, all told is barely down across the state. So the states haven't even spent what we already sent. In the past, at least what we sent out to the states was done pretty much on a per capita basis, although the small states got a minim minimum of, I think, $1.5 billion. So you had some fair distribution among the states. Now they're, they're going to target the relief to states that have highest unemployment. Well, why do they have high unemployment? It's, it's not because there isn't a demand for workers. That's the biggest really drag on the Wisconsin economy. Employers can't hire people because we incentivize people to stay on the sidelines with the $400 plus up for unemployment insurance. But you know, the fact of the matter is you have high employment in states that have had these lockdowns that didn't prevent COVID deaths, did not prevent the spread. And so the, the states that opened up, like uh, Florida, you know, quite honestly, Wisconsin has been pretty open when the uh, Supreme Court knocked down uh, Governor Evers' emergency powers. Our economy's humming along. We have a pretty low unemployment rate. It's going to be the states that shut down, that destroyed businesses, that destroyed lives. It's, this money be allocated based on unemployment rates. And so those states, those blue states, with governors that did it primarily to make sure that Donald Trump couldn't run, win re-election, now they are going to get the, the lion's share of this $350 billion. It's grotesque, it's galling. Senator Johnson, what, what can we be doing, the grassroots of the state of Wisconsin across this country? How can we help you fight back against this? Well, you can make your voices heard. You can get that information. Again, re read that Wall Street Journal column. That's probably the most concise description of, of what's going on here and, and really how galling it all is. 
but contact Democrat senators. You know, let them know that, that this is not what you want. Uh, that actually does have an impact. So you know, call up their offices direct, you know, send them a personal email, a personal letter. You know, let them know that this is outrageous and, and make the good case that, you know, again, we've already allocated $4 trillion. I think about a trillion. And I don't have access to people in the OMB now to give me the real numbers, but I keep hearing about a trillion of that has not yet been spent. You know, we're the ones, people like Rick Scott and I, that stopped the, the trillion-dollar COVID relief package that Mitch McConnell wanted to pass before the August recess. We slowed that thing down because we pointed out that at that point, 1.2 trillion of the you know roughly three trillion that we'd already allocated hadn't been spent or even obligated. So when they did pass the 900 billion dollar stimulus in December, about 600 billion of that was repurposed. So that was only another only. It was 300 billion dollars additional authorization. This is all new authorization. When you've got maybe a trillion dollars unspent from the first four trillion dollars. We're going to go ahead and, and, and authorize another $2 trillion to be spent over a decade. It's just simply dishonest. And again, as even liberal economists are, are talking about or warning us about, this could really push the, the economy into uh, a position where you, have, you start having uh, to really worry about inflation. Yeah. You know, by the way, folks, ladies and gentlemen watching, you can click the I volunteers icon in the links to this Facebook Live. Uh, to reach out to your two United States senators and your House of Representatives member. I hope you'll do that. Even if you know how your senators are going to vote or your House member is going to vote, it's good for them to hear from you. And frankly, if they're doing the right thing on this, the way Senator Johnson is, it's good to encourage them to let them know you're standing with them. And if they're on the other side of this, it's good for them to hear from you as well. So please take a moment. You can do that. Or you can go to americansforprosperity.org. You can easily do it that way as well. But the easiest way, just click on that I Volunteer link here on this Facebook Live. It's fast. It's simple. It'll probably take you about two minutes to do. Make your voice heard. It's a big moment for the country with this bill. Uh, Senator Johnson, they're not going to have 60 votes for this. W would you take a moment, because it looks like Republicans are, are standing together, the, the 50 Republicans in the Senate at this point, to oppose this if, if the House passes it, as we're expecting probably on Friday. Um, they're going to use something called reconciliation rather than the normal you know, procedure of the Senate. Uh, when do you think the key moment will be in the Senate on this? Because we want to continue to urge people to make their voices heard. Give us a sense of the time frame on this and, and just for a moment, how this reconciliation works to let them do it without the 60 votes that they're not going to have in the Senate. Well, the reconciliation is all within the budget process. And so as long as you stay within the budget parameters as passed by the budget resolution, um, and they pass this so that you can spend $1.9 trillion in deficit spending. As long as you stay within those parameters, uh, you can pass the real legislation, the, the appropriation uh, behind that with just a, a majority. And we have a 50-50 split, but then Kamala Harris will come in there and break the tie. And now Joe, Joe Manchin and, and Kirsten Sinema have said they will support the Byrd rule, which will not allow them to bring non-budgetary items like the minimum wage. We believe that will be birdable, so they won't be able to bring that in. And that's, the, in terms of timing, the only thing that's going on right now in the House, they're trying to scrub it based on the bird rule so that it, it doesn't uh, 
destroy the privilege, which would put that vote threshold up to 60 votes. So they're being careful in the House. That takes some time. It's not that easy to do. But once they complete that, we expect to come over to the Senate. And we'll have another one of these voteramas where you know, we'll put forward some amendments to try and improve it. Uh, Democrats, even if they pass at the very tail end, they do what they call a wraparound amendment. They'll wipe out all that amendment voting. It'll all be for naught. It's all kind of a big old charade. But at least we can expose Democrats uh, in terms of what they actually will not support, like border security or religious freedom. Uh, those are the types of things we'll try and vote on here. But again, this is cooked in the, in the books. This is uh, the way budget reconciliation works. It's how we pass tax reform. It's how we should have fixed Obamacare, but we didn't get our act together there, much to my chagrin. Yeah. But uh, again, there, there's really nothing we can stop do to stop this. So we have to look ahead. And Eric, you asked me, you know, what, what can people do? You have to get involved in the political process. And one of the things that I talked to Tim about this this weekend, uh, I started pushing this after 2018, where I found out that there were 30 Wisconsin state Democrat assembly people that ran unopposed. I, I was shocked by that. I probably should have known, but I was shocked by it. And so what we Senator, do, we're going to let, we're going to, we're going to stay focused on the, the budget bill here though. You're that's oh, okay. Like, I got <laughs> you, but, it, but run for office. Okay. That's yeah. as conservatives run for office, school board, city board, county board. And, you know, we need Republicans on every line of the ballot because that'll help us win elections, which we lost. You know, we, we lost this election. We're paying the price. Yeah. Eric. Let's talk about that price. I mean, how how dire is it when you think about the level of debt in this country, the national debt, uh, the, the threat of inflation? What what does this additional two trillion dollars on top of that mean for our children, for our grandchildren, for the, the future of our economy? Well, I think we're currently at twenty seven point nine trillion. So let's round it up to twenty eight trillion because we'll be there soon enough. We're running trillion dollar year deficits just in the normal budget. Tack on another one point nine trillion. So that means by the end of this fiscal year, we'll probably be over $30 trillion in debt. The size of our economy, don't have it from last year, but in 2019 was $21.43 trillion. So $21.5 trillion. So our debt exceeds the size of our economy by about 140%. Uh, everybody has always said that once you achieve, go over 100% debt to GDP ratio, you, you have, that has a real impact on your economy. Now, uh, quite honestly, I, I thought the, the, the debt bomb is going to go off uh, uh, before this, it hasn't yet because we're still the world's reserve currency and we're still the safe haven for, for investment. And so nobody knows how long this can continue, but it's just certain that this is not fiscally responsible to do. And at some point in time, when creditors around the world start looking at the U.S. and go, you know, you're not a real good credit risk. I'm, I'm going to start loaning you money or certainly at these incredibly low rates. Uh, that's when you hit a debt bomb. That's when interest rates spike. And, and we started going back up to, let's, let's say, 30 or 40 or 50 year average interest rates of the 4 to 5% range versus the little over 1%. That, that's another 3% added on to, or 3% interest on $30 trillion. That's about $900 billion just in interest, added interest expense. If we just go to historical interest rates, that's what we're talking about. That's, that's almost everything we spend on discretionary spending. So no, this is, this is serious business, but what, what depresses a guy like me is that like very few people in Congress are even worried about it. Now, obviously the Democrats aren't, Biden's not worried about it. Uh, unfortunately, not, not enough Republicans are. 
Yeah. Uh, we have talked about this $1.9 trillion bill, and you've done a great job of laying it out. We know it's uphill, but we're fighting the good fight. It's the right thing to do. There's a second piece of legislation that's unrelated, uh, except in a different way. Uh, and that is this so-called PRO Act, Senator Johnson. It would be a dramatic expansion of the federal government into labor law, into labor rules at the state and local level. It would wipe out state right to work laws like the one that Wisconsin has that protects uh, individual uh, Americans when they decide whether or not to join a union. It gives them that choice. Uh, it, it would end a lot of rights that employ that folk Americans have to choose not to be an employee, but to be a contractor instead that lets them set their own schedule. I mean, there's so many things in this PRO Act that we're worried about. It's building up ahead of steam in the House. We're fighting it there, but it very well could end up potentially in the United States Senate. Are, are you familiar with that legislation, Senator Johnson? Could you talk about that for just a moment? And not every detail, I'd imagine also a card check would be in that as well, yeah. which, which means union thugs come to your house and say, hey, sign this card and unionize our shop. Um, this is just another example of what Democrats are going to do to limit our freedoms. This is all about the reduction of freedom. And the good news about this is this is not a budgetary item. This is kind of like a minimum wage. They wouldn't be able to tack this on to the $1.9 trillion and if it's a standalone piece of legislation coming before the Senate, it would need 60 votes. I seriously doubt there are 10 Republicans that would join Democrats for doing something so undemocratic, uh, so, so, you know, so freedom squelching and also so economically destructive. So yeah. you know, th that, that is why, by the way, um, and, and I know there are a lot of conservatives. I know President Trump was, was ripping into us for not getting rid of the filibuster. Now he's trying to understand why it's so important to preserve the filibuster, because throughout history, that 60 vote threshold, that, that requirement in order to pass legislation has stopped so much bad legislation, so much Marxist, socialist type of legislation, and we're going to be able to do it again. And again, just keep praying for uh, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema that they stand by their pledge that they will continue to support the legislative filibuster. Boy, you're, you're, that's a great point you bring up, Senator Johnson. The filibuster, which is an important protection in a representative democracy or in a republic, which is what we have, it, it's such an important protection. Uh, and, and you're right, when, whether it's a Republican president or a Democrat president, I know at Americans for Prosperity, we have supported and support the filibuster because it protects in a republic uh, the rights of uh, you know, a party out of power or a movement out of power, left or right, to make sure that there's a broader consensus. So you make a great point uh, on uh, the filibuster. We're with you all the way on that, whether it's a Republican president or a Democrat president. It's the right and best thing for this country. So thank you, by the way, for bringing that up. Uh, it, it, on a filibuster, uh, do you feel like there is good support? I mean, are all the Republicans supportive of protecting the the, the a filibuster and, and hopefully enough of these Democrats. Do you have a sense of that? Oh, yeah. We, we are lockstep in, in favor of maintaining that because we realized we weren't going to be in the majority forever. At some point in time, the table is yeah. going to be turned and then we were going to want to have. And it's not just, you know, 
a minority of senators' rights being protected. It's all of our supporters. That's it's right. What, it's what you want to see protected is being in the minority, at least for a, a two-year cycle, uh, to be protected. So, no, we were lockstep behind that. Uh, even Susan Collins is one of the individuals who, in March, I think, of 2017, sent a letter and had, I think it was 28 current Democrat senators uh, sign her letter saying they were going to preserve the filibuster. But then the moment they got power, well, you know, we ought to maybe think about eliminating the filibuster so we can pass anything we want to pass. So Republicans, when we were in power, we had the integrity to say, no, we need to preserve minority rights within the Senate, within the U.S. And, and we, we stood strong, even under pressure from President Trump and a lot of our supporters. You know, we said, no, this would be the wrong thing to do. Uh, fortunately, we have two Democrats, only two out of 50, that uh, have that same level of integrity that says, you know, you do need to protect the minorities, you know, their, 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 their rights and their uh, positions to try and yeah. forge some kind of consensus. Because if you're going to do something massive, you know, like President Obama did with Obamacare, and again, he had 60 votes. Now, they had to pass some of it through reconciliation, but he had a filibuster-proof Senate, and they jammed through Obamacare. But because it was done on a totally partisan basis, that has never been accepted by the American public, and it's still kind of ro rolling around in, in, our, in the body politic. If you're going to do something massive, it should be done with some bipartisan support. Yeah, that's a great point. Eric, I know you're back. Go right ahead. We've got about five more minutes of the senator's time. Very good. Well, thanks again, Senator, for joining us. And as Tim said, if you're watching, you want to take action, please click on that link to email your congresspeople. You can contact me, contact your local Americans for Prosperity grassroots engagement director. We are patching through calls to Senator or Congressman Kine's office right now, pushing back against these issues. We'd love for you, uh, to have your help. Uh, Senator, one issue that's in the spending package that we didn't touch on yet involves health care. Uh, the, the bill is proposed actually tries to coerce states into embracing government expansions of healthcare even further. And on our own governor in Wisconsin, Governor Tony Evers has laid out a plan in his budget, uh, a glide path to a public option. Why are these things, these expansion uh, proposals of government-run healthcare still such a threat? And, and why should people um, contact their officials to fight back against this? Well, people don't realize what, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders, what the left wants, Medicare for all, means uh, private health insurance for none. It would take away your private health care, and you know a large majority of Americans have their health care, health insurance through their employer. That would all go away. So the, the more that government encroaches upon private health care, the the sooner Democrats are going to get their wish of completely taking over health care. And again, I, I don't recommend that. Um, I, I don't know of anything the government does efficiently and effectively. They do some things effectively. You know, I think our military is pretty darn effective, but it's not efficient. And I don't think we would like government-run health care. Uh, take a look at the VA system, all the problems, the really intractable problems within the VA system. So that's, that's, that's the game here. That's what they're trying to do. And, and you're right, Eric, this, this $1.9 trillion package is just a stunning wish list of liberal progressive priorities. It's not about COVID relief, not at all. Now, I've seen something where it's really probably only one to five percent actual COVID relief. The rest is just you know, things you can kind of call COVID relief, but uh, by and large, it's just a big old grab bag, a stunning wish list of uh, progressive ideas. Yeah, 
Um, I know I, I travel the country a lot. I'll be in Florida tomorrow talking to our grassroots activists. I, I was in Wisconsin last week with Eric and a lot of our activists in Watertown and, and uh, in near Milwaukee and also in Madison. Uh, Senator Johnson, I know you travel Wisconsin relentlessly talking to folks across your state. Uh, these are challenging times. We, we know that. We, we talk about this $1.9 trillion bill, the, 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 the crucial need to get the economy going again. But I, I know also from talking to you, you're an optimistic guy. You, you have a lot of faith in, in, the, in our country moving forward. Can, can you leave us with what is it about you that makes you optimistic uh, about this country, about the direction we can go, despite what are clearly some difficult times we're facing right now? Well, I mean, what this nation is founded on, uh, what made this country great is, is just those basic values that conservatives embrace. Individual liberty, freedom, a free market system. And it's been a marvel in the span of human history what a free market system described by Adam Smith, by the way, when he wrote Wealth of Nations in 1776, combined with a, a document, the Declaration of Independence, which started the process of our constitution, which described a limited form of government, government that allows freedom and liberty, allows individuals to dream and aspire and build and create. And that's what they've done over, over more than two centuries. They've built and created this marvel we call America and the American economy. So we have that basic foundation. And as long as we stay engaged, as long as we continue to embrace and understand what made this country great, not big government, you know, not socialist and Marxist ideas, liberty, freedom, and a limited government that just does the things that's enumerated for it to do in the Constitution, you know, there, there's, there's no, no, nothing that America can't achieve and the American people can't achieve. And we, we, are, we are populated by a bunch of risk takers. It's in our genetics, people that hopped on little wooden boats or quite honestly, even people that come, come across our borders even today seeking a better life. These are people that want to work hard. And so it's just ingrained in our DNA as Americans to dream and aspire and build and, and, and work our you know what's off to, to make a good life for ourselves and our family. And then that has the spillover effects of creating a great nation. So again, we've got the fundamentals. We just can't let the left destroy it. That is, is well put, Senator. Thank you so much. That's a great way to close out our conversation today. Um, as always, we are grateful to have you representing us in the state of Wisconsin. Be one of the few voices in D.C. who actually gets it and speaks truth to power and is trying to get our fiscal house in order. Thank you so much for the work you're doing. Thank you for your time today. And, and we are there to we have your back. We're going to be there to help you. Well, God bless everybody. Stay healthy. Take care. Thank you, sir.